you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, still fully vaccinated, still dodging variants like Neo in the Matrix. But unlike Kyrie Irving, uh, I am not yet taking my mask off, at least, you know, in crowded indoor public spaces. Go check Twitter. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a little bit. Uh, as always, joined by producer Justin, producer Hytham, and a cast of dozens behind the scenes. But right here in front of the camera alongside me, as always, is my pal Michael F. Florio. And uh, Florio, it is Wednesday. Did you find some fun waiver wire treats under your fantasy Christmas tree? Not a whole lot. It, it, I'm happy to have back my favorite Wednesday tradition, Marcus, which is waking up and just immediately looking at my phone to see waivers. Um, but I did not get any Elijah Mitchell. He went for 100% of fab in one of my leagues and wow. well over 50 in a bunch of others. And then I, I took a lot of small shots this week, some Tim Patrick, some Christian Kirks, but I, I did not spend big on anyone this week. Yeah, I, I sort of whiffed on a lot of things. Uh, part of it was in my you know my leagues where waivers are sort of first come first serve. Uh, and this is a little bit of a humble brag. I went thirteen and two in my leagues, so I wasn't really uh, you know I didn't really have a high waiver priority in a lot of spots. So uh, I think I struck out on Elijah Mitchell, uh, and I will go through and kind of figure out the rest of what's happening probably later today and, and make adjustments uh, as I have to. Uh, we got plenty to talk about on the show today. We will have a TNF preview and talk about what we can expect from Saquon Barkley. We'll do our five big questions of the week as we normally do. Plus, we'll have some of our top sleepers heading into the second week of the fantasy football season. But uh, as we normally do about this time, let's start it off with some fantasy headlines. And the first one coming out of San Francisco. And man, things uh, escalated quickly with Raheem Mostert. He left the week one game against the Lions early with a knee injury, was ruled out. Then uh, we learned earlier in the week that it was going to be potentially eight weeks he was going to miss. Well, then on Tuesday, uh, he posted a statement saying that he was going to have season-ending surgery. So Raheem Mostert is already done for the year, which certainly is a big blow to the 49ers. It's a big blow to a lot of fantasy lineups. But as we just sort of talked about, Eli Mitchell is the new hotness on the waiver wire. But, Floria, my question to you is, with no Raheem Mostert for the rest of the year, what are we doing with Trey Sermon this week? Because he was that, that healthy scratch that caught everybody by surprise. Is he back in our lives now? 
I think so. I, I actually have him ranked as a flex option this week. I, I think Mitchell is still the lead back, uh, at least as of now. But I think Sermon is going to be utilized, and I think he will have a chance to really compete with Mitchell to be that 1A. We know Kyle Shanahan likes to incorporate multiple running backs. It's always been a staple of his system. Uh, I think last year, oh, last week, him being inactive and Jamichael Hasty being active, I think that comes down more to special teams. I will say with Mitchell, though, the, the coaching staff clearly trusted him enough to be the RB2 behind a starter that, I, I hate to say it, suffers injuries a lot. So they clearly view Mitchell very highly. I, I'm not at the point yet where I think I could just say, Trey Sermon is the 49ers RB1 now, but I do think he'll be in the mix. And I, I with the 49ers running as much as they do, I think you could get away with potentially flexing him if you don't have better options. I do think that anybody who had Trey Sermon uh, you know, shouldn't panic just yet because I do think this opens an opportunity for him. The Niners have really said that they want to run the football. They have not shied away from that, and I think they're going to do quite a bit of that. But, uh, yeah, it was sort of a turn of events where Elijah Mitchell ended up being the guy after uh, Mostert went down. That was something that we, we really didn't see coming at all. Um, bit of news coming down on Wednesday morning. Odell Beckham Jr., who missed week one with a knee injury, is also going to miss week two with that same knee injury. The Browns have already ruled him out for this week's game against the Houston Texans. So as you sit there, Florio, and think about this, uh, who benefits from no OBJ in week two? I think it's the big the running backs. They they are the biggest benefactor here. They're playing a Texans team. I think the Browns will have a lead in this game and just be able to run the ball, stuff it down uh, Houston's throat, and just run all over them. So last week, no Brown player had more than five targets. I think it's going to be a similar offense where they're just running a bunch. I think if you're looking for some wide receiver help and want to kind of swing for the fences, Anthony Schwartz is sort of a deep pull name who was getting some run during preseason and training camp, uh, had a couple of big plays during the game on Sunday and could see some extra targets from Baker Mayfield. But again, that's sort of a, uh, a high risk, high reward sort of play if you're maybe in deeper leagues. Uh, the Cowboys have placed Michael Gallup on injured reserve with a calf injury. That means he's going to miss at least the next three games. We'll certainly keep an eye on how that goes. But uh, when he went out in week one against the Buccaneers, Cedric Wilson stepped in and saw quite a few targets. So can I interest you in, in a said Wilson anywhere on your rosters? Uh, I, I think he is worthy of taking a flyer off the waiver wire this week. I wouldn't spend a whole lot to get him, but... I'm not interested in starting him just yet. I want to see what the usage looks like, right? Because I'm anticipating well over double-digit targets again for Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Like, both of those guys, it wouldn't surprise me if they saw 13-plus targets each again like they did in Week 1. Then we had Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin also being utilized in the passing game. Cedric Wilson, we know what his role is going to be. He's going to play line up in the slot. He, he has some speed so he can break out, you know, some some long runs after the catch, but I have to see it first. I have to see what the usage is going to look like because, Marcus, I'm really thinking this could just become a very funneled passing game between the top two options. I think you're probably right, but I do think it's worth just picking him up, stashing him, at least in the short term, and just sort of seeing how things shake out uh, in the next couple of weeks. I, you know, I, I feel like maybe the bigger beneficiaries of this are either Dalton Schultz or Blake Jarwin, whatever flavor of Cowboys tight end you prefer. Um, Cooper and, and Lamb, they're going to get theirs, no doubt about it. I feel like it's hard to force them any more than, than we already saw in the first couple of weeks, but I do think the tight ends probably benefit. Maybe even Tony Pollard uh, benefits a little bit 
bit from this too, getting some more targets. But you know, we have seen this this offense be productive, and there's a chance that it can support multiple wide receivers. But I'm not forcing said Wilson into my lineup uh, quite yet. Uh, last bit of news: Jamison Crowder, who missed Week One for the New York Jets, does have a chance to play in Week Two, and. Uh, Elijah Moore, it was not a great start for him. One catch, I think minus three yards was the total. Just sort of uh, struggled in his NFL debut. I know a lot of us were excited about him, but with Crowder coming back, is it time to fade Elijah Moore for the time being? It is time to get Elijah Moore onto your bench. It is not time to drop him, though. Uh, I think Crowder is going to step in and kind of have the role that Berrios had in week one, where he had seven targets. He tied Corey Davis for a team high in that. Uh, but Elijah Moore only had the four targets, like you said, just the one catch for three yards. We, I love his ability. He's an explosive slot receiver. He reminds me a lot of Tyler Lockett. The only issue is... He, he's a rookie playing with a rookie quarterback. There's going to be growing pains there. I'm not ready to drop him at all yet, but this week against a tough Patriots defense, I definitely do not think this is the week to start him. It was a rough go for the Jets uh, offensively as a group, but especially for a couple of the guys that we liked. Uh, Elijah Moore struggled. Michael Carter really didn't give us much. Even Zach Wilson sort of had an up-and-down day there. Uh, on the flip side, though, Corey Davis uh, looked very good, and he looks like he's getting comfortable with Zach Wilson, or Wilson's getting comfortable with him, however you want to look at it. But uh, that was certainly uh, a pretty good start for Corey Davis uh, in 2021. All right, let's turn our attention now to some Thursday night football. We've got our first actual TNF game of the year. I know that the Bucks and Cowboys was on a Thursday night, but it didn't really qualify as TNF. It's a whole TV thing. Don't worry about it. Just understand that this actually falls in the TNF bucket. I know that doesn't matter to you unless you're a TV exec or an advertiser. Whatever. Uh, the point is, we've got the New York Giants and the Washington football team playing on Thursday Night Football. So as always, we got to look into this and uh, ask some fantasy-relevant questions. The first one is about Saquon Barkley. And we knew, Florio, that the Giants were going to sort of ease him back in. Uh, he's, he's working back from that ACL tear from last year. And it was not a great performance uh, for him against the Denver Broncos in Week 1. This is a very good defense in Washington. What are you expecting from Saquon in Week 2? Not much. I, I barely have him ranked inside the top 30 running backs, and I am considering lowering him, Marcus. Last week, he played 48% of the snaps, had 10 carries and 3 targets, and we knew they were going to limit him early on. But now this is a short week, and like you said, it is a very tough opponent in Washington defense, so I'm not expecting a whole lot out of Saquon. I'm expecting him to be limited once again on a short week. But with the caveat that if he has a bad game on a national standalone game, Marcus, you know everyone is going to freak out about Saquon. And then he gets a long week and gets the Falcons in week three. I think week three on is when he starts to look more like Saquon. So if he has a bad game in week two, I'm going to be going out and trying to buy him low. I, I, I'm sort of advocating to folks to you know, keep the faith in Saquon, right? I know that the you know, last week was not great. Then so far this week, he didn't practice on Tuesday. The Giants said that if he had practiced, he would have been considered limited. Uh, even Saquon himself has said, look, having this short turnaround is not an ideal situation for me playing on a Thursday night. But I feel like good things are coming. As you mentioned, they get the sort of the extended week uh, and then they get the Falcons after that. So I know a lot of people are concerned. Don't be. I understand it. Don't freak out. And if, like Florio said, 
said, if it doesn't look good on Thursday night, uh, don't make a panic trade because it's going to get better for Saquon. So I've just sort of been advocating people to to stay patient, to keep the faith in that, you know, there's a reason that he was still a first round pick, even if it was lower than we're used to seeing, because, you know, the opportunity's there. He's still an explosive player. We just want to see him get back to something close to 100 uh, percent sometime very, very soon. Um the other question about the New York offense is who exactly is their wide receiver one? They obviously bring in Kenny Galladay. Uh, he was dealing with nagging injuries all throughout training camp. And then in week one, it was the Sterling Shepard explosion uh, offensively. So I do have questions. Who do you think is their wide receiver one right now? I think it is Sterling Shepard until Kenny Galladay proves otherwise. I I still think Kenny G takes over at some point this season. But in week one, Sterling Shepard played 95% of the snaps. That was the most amongst all receivers. He led them with nine targets, seven catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. Kenny Galladay was actually their third most targeted player behind Slayton as well. And and my logic goes to what you said, Marcus. Like, Kenny Galladay was absent all preseason. He was basically dealing with that hamstring injury for the last two months, and we haven't really seen a whole lot of him on the practice field. We didn't see him at all in preseason games. Uh, and last week, while it was nice to see him out there and, and doing his thing, he didn't really put up any big numbers. So... Uh, I'm thinking it's Sterling Shepard until Galladay proves that he is healthy and fully acclimated in this offense. But Sterling Shepard wearing number three, the longest tenure giant. I mean, <laughs> it's looking pretty good right now for him. It is looking very good for him. And I, I, you know, I know we have both sort of said near the end of fantasy draft season that he was essentially free. Like no one was talking about him. And now all of a sudden people are like, hey, Sterling Shepard, he's still there and he's still kind of good. Uh, I'm still going to say that it's Kenny Galladay, even though we haven't seen it yet from him. Uh, look, they, they went out and made an investment in bringing him in, although it was certainly not the sort of payday that I think a lot of people anticipated. The Giants still want to make him a, a focal point of the passing game and I think maybe this is a week maybe we see them try to do different things to get him involved maybe we even see Daniel Jones try to force feed him a little bit just to get him going Um, if it doesn't happen this week then maybe I start to shift my opinion a little bit but I'm still believing that Kenny Galladay is supposed to be the guy in that offense and look uh, especially if there's no Evan Ingram they need somebody that can really compliment because they can't just live on Sterling Shepard alone so I'm I'm believing that, that Kenny G is gonna sort of get back to work there Uh, On the other side, uh, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is on injured reserve. We're still not completely sure for how long. In the meantime, Taylor Heineke takes over as the quarterback for the Washington football team. They got to go up against what is a pretty good defense there for the the Giants. Uh, What is more worrisome for you when you look at Terry McLaurin? Is it that Giants secondary or is it having Taylor Heineke under center? For me, it is Taylor Heineke, and I like uh, what I've seen so far out of Heineke. I think he's got a little Fitzpatrick in him, but I don't think there's a defense out there, Marcus, that could really contain Terry McLaurin if the quarterback was getting him the ball. Like We saw last week that weird, miraculous catch he made down the sideline. Like There's no stopping that. He he is a great downfield option. He is so fast. He's good with the ball in his hands after the catch. So Washington just needs to find a way to... Get this guy the ball in any way they can because the Giants have a good secondary, but if you put the ball in Terry McLaurin's hands, good things are going to happen. 
I mean, you see on on these highlights, like the push pass that they're getting out there to Terry McLaurin. You talked about that ridiculous sideline catch he made. They are finding ways to get him the football, and so I think you're right. I think it's more an issue of the quarterback versus the defense because McLaurin still found a way to have a pretty good game against what I think is a good Chargers defense. So uh, I think you're right. I think he, on his own, is almost impossible to cover. It's just a matter of whether the quarterback can get the football out to him uh, consistently on time. and accurately as well. All right, last one here for this TNF game. Who would you rather uh, when it comes to starting a defense, the Giants defense or the football team defense? I will go with the football team defense. They're actually my number one ranked defense for the week. Uh, and it's because last week, the Broncos, who I don't think are nearly as talented on defense as Washington is, they finished as a top seven fantasy defense facing this Giants team. Daniel Jones, we know he's turn, uh, turnover prone. I, we're worried about Saquon Barkley on a short week. Kenny Galladay doesn't look 100% just yet, uh, at least to me. So I'm trusting Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and Logan Thomas a little bit more than I am. The pieces on the Giants... And it's more just, I, I love what the the Washington FT's uh, defensive front could do. If you get pressure on Daniel Jones, you have the chance of forcing a couple of turnovers, and that could lead to a lot of fantasy points. I, I do like that call because I, I tweeted last week that Daniel Jones is to turnovers as chicken is to waffles, except one of those things <laughs> is delicious, uh, and you would welcome it into your life. The other one, probably not so much. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go contrarian here and say the Giants just because of the Taylor Heineke factor. And I know Heineke is not like your regular backup. It's not like you're putting a guy in there that has never been on the field, that doesn't seem to know what he's doing. But I do think that uh, this is not a bad defense. If they can get after him up front, uh, Maybe they can rattle him. They can force some turnovers here. Over the course of the season, I definitely favor the Washington FT uh, and their defense over Big Blue. I just have a feeling that uh, on Thursday night, maybe the Giants do something different uh, and get after Heineke. I could come back on Monday and look like I was completely wrong. But uh, for now, that's sort of where I stand on this thing. But uh, should be an interesting game, if nothing else, uh, sort of a glimpse into the NFC East and maybe uh, a little bit of a, a taste of, of how the pecking order shakes out. Uh, you know, The Eagles looked certainly pretty good. Good on Sunday. The Cowboys, even in a loss, certainly look like they could be formidable. So now we'll get a chance to see a couple of those teams in the division face off against one another and sort of get a feeling uh, of how this division may shake out when it's all said and done. Let's step away for a second. We'll come back and we'll look at our five big questions for week two, including what's going on in that Tampa Bay backfield. Stay tuned for that on the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. As always, I got five big questions for the week. Let's take a look at them. Down in Tampa, the Bucks, mainly Bruce Arians, made the announcement on Tuesday that Ronald Jones would be the team's starting running back against the Atlanta Falcons. Now, last week, Rojo fumbled early in that game, and we didn't see him for the rest of the evening. According to reports, it was mostly that he was sort of mentally beating himself up on the sidelines and just wasn't uh, really ready to get back into the game. Uh, 
This seems to be a pattern, though, with the Bucks. One guy makes a mistake, and then he's sort of banished to the sidelines for the rest of the day. So even with Bruce Arians saying Ronald Jones is the starter, Florio, uh, how much do we trust the Bucks to actually stick with that? Zero percent. Uh, <laughs> everything that Bruce Arians has done, really, since coming into Tampa has shown that he does not have a whole lot of faith in Ronald Jones. Like, Ronald Jones is a good runner of the football, but... The first thing he did, Bruce Arians did, was draft Keyshawn Vaughn, right? And then he brings in Leonard Fournette. And then this year they bring in Gio Bernard. Uh, and, and in week one, we saw what could go wrong if you trust a Bucks running back. I mean, a fumble, and then he's gone. He gives you negative fantasy points on the week. Ronald Jones is always one fumble away from just being benched for the entire game. Uh, we've seen that happen more than once. Uh, they seem to trust Leonard Fournette a little bit more in passing situations, and Gio Bernard is obviously there for a reason as well. So if Ronald Jones isn't catching a lot of passes, that already limits his upside. And then you got to factor in that he could hit the bench at any point. So I, I have a hard time trusting really any of the Bucks running backs. I-, I feel like this lack of trust isn't about... Ronald Jones, it's more about how the coaches are going to use him or whether or not we're going to just see him sitting on the sidelines. And so I I just have this feeling that a lot of folks may end up sitting Rojo and it could be a game where, you know, he holds on to the football, he has a really good day and people miss out on that uh, just because you have that fear of, of what could happen. And I am just sort of curious, and I don't know that there's an answer to this, about what it is, uh, why it is that Jones takes it so hard when he makes a mistake. I don't know if it's that he's feeling pressure from the coaches, if it's an internal pressure or whatever it is. Um, I think he's a good player. I want to see him sort of have some success. Uh, but but if this is a thing that he can't get past mentally, then it, it's going to be tough. And at least for our selfish fantasy purposes, it does make it hard, as you said, to really trust any Buccaneers running back. Because even last week, we didn't see a lot of Gio Bernard either. He didn't get a whole lot of, uh, of attention. It was mostly the Leonard Fournette show. Um, although, who knows? Maybe in a weird way, maybe this works out. And maybe this turns it into a one-man backfield. You're, you already know it's going to happen, Marcus. Like, people are going to bench Ronald Jones. He's going to go off. Then next week, they'll start him again, and he'll, he'll hit the bench for something. Like, it's just the most unpredictable backfield in football. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Uh, let's let's stay in the state of Florida, move up to Jacksonville. Uh, James Robinson did not have a good day on Sunday. I thought it was going to be better. Um, it just seemed like the Jags didn't really get him involved in the offense. We saw a lot of Carlos Hyde. So how confident are you in James Robinson heading to week two? A lot less confidence than I was heading into week one. I'll tell you that. Like he, I'll say I'm not as worried as some are. He still did play the majority of the snaps. And while Carlos Hyde did have more carries, Robinson had six targets, which is valuable because uh, we know, Marcus said, in PPR leagues, which NFL.com leagues are, a target is very valuable for a running back. And... But I, I will say that, like, last week against in a good matchup against the Texans, I had him ranked in the top 10 running backs. We know that did not work out. This week, he is a low-end RB2 for me. So uh, I do have some volume concerns there. Urban Meyer seems to want to get Carlos Hyde involved. He just seems to want to get a running back that is not named James Robinson involved. It's kind of been his goal since he's come to Jacksonville. I, I don't fully get it. But from what we've seen so far of this offense, I don't think you could value him too much higher than like a RB2, maybe low to mid-end RB2. It's it's almost like 
Urban Meyer just wants to put his own stamp on this team and have his own guys, even though the guy that he has there was very productive last year. I don't really understand it, but watching that game, uh, I don't think Robinson got his first official carry until a couple minutes into the second quarter. I think he had one in the first quarter that was called back because of a holding penalty, um, and just the usage was really surprising and strange uh and and i hope it gets better but i'm really concerned uh, especially because the jaguars just looked awful and so it means a lot of negative game scripts coming so it it might be more carlos hyde uh than we anticipated starting the year uh next question what do we do with brandon Ayuk? i mean trey sermon was the the healthy scratch at least that way we knew to get him out of our lineups we didn't know that brandon Ayuk was not really going to see the field and it was going to be trent Sherfield instead um I have no idea what to do now because I'm, I was pretty heavily invested in Brandon Ayuk, and now I have no idea where to pivot with, with him on my rosters. I don't have a whole lot of Ayuk, but it was I thought he was going to be a really good player this year. I just thought the volume week to week would be a little inconsistent. I did not expect him to barely play in week one like we only have footage of him returning a punt because he did not have a target in week one. Uh, but what I'm Thinking right now, at least, the play, the play should be with Ayuk is you bench him if you have him. And if you don't have him, I think you go out and try to trade him for pretty cheap right now because I'm sure whoever does have him is panicking. Uh, I mean, the guy was playing behind Trent Sherfield in week one, but that is not why we drafted this guy in the fifth or sixth round. But Marcus, uh, you I know you follow the 49ers very closely. Wasn't there reports last year, too, that like he was struggling to be like a professional or something along those lines and that like they were trying to teach him a lesson maybe this is something like that I I just find it hard to believe that the Niners are going to be able to get through this season without the playmaking abilities of Brandon Ayuk uh, yeah, may- maybe this is trying to teach him a lesson a little bit. Uh, it still was definitely a surprise just seeing what he did on the field. Um, you know, you would think that they would try to incorporate him a little bit more. So we'll see whether or not this changes. I know it's a thing Kyle Shanahan said he wants to talk to the player about sooner rather than later. So maybe this is a little bit of a wake up call. This is going to be a key week, though. I think we're going to learn a whole lot. Ayuk got on the field mostly in the second half when the Niners had a big lead, uh, but still didn't see any targets. So this was definitely a surprise, and this week's going to be sort of a litmus test. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that I can start him right now until we get some more clarity on uh, exactly what his role is going to be in the 49ers offense. Um, we were kind of keeping an eye out for Tyson Williams last week. We wanted to see what he could do. I know a lot of folks were in a situation where they had to start him. And if you did, congrats, because he ended up having a pretty nice game. Uh, so this week, as the Ravens take on the Chiefs, how high do you have Williams ranked? This is one of the hardest things for me to figure out this week, Marcus. I, I have Williams as RB29 and Latavius Murray as RB30. And I'm really sure, like in, in some spots, Marcus, I got to decide Williams or Claypool or Williams or, or like another receiver. And I'm really struggling with it because Williams looks good. Like he had nine carries for 65 yards and a touchdown. He also added in three catches for 29 yards on four targets. Four targets is... I believe it is the most a run ties for the most a running back has ever had in a game with Lamar Jackson. There might have been one game where they had five, but it's towards one of the highest uh, totals a running back has had. But down the stretch, Baltimore went to Latavius Murray. Like 
he had more carries in this game. They all really were coming in the second half. We even started to see Latavius Murray on passing plays, on play action plays. And Tyson Williams, what stood out to me was on that Lamar Jackson fumble down the stretch that gave the Raiders a, a chance to come back in this game. Tyson Williams just completely blew a play a pass protection opportunity there. So I, I am not really sure what to make of this backfield. I think both right now are just kind of flex options. The Latavius Murray down the stretch definitely surprised me because Williams looked like he was running pretty effectively. He definitely has more juice uh, than Murray does right now. But it could be that pass protection thing. And, and that's something that we... We sort of talk about, but not a lot, but it is sort of important, and it's definitely a hallmark for young players. We see a lot of young guys come in, and they struggle with that part of the game. In Baltimore, you have to be able to protect Lamar Jackson. He is the franchise. He is the key element in that offense, and so if you don't have a running back that's protecting the quarterback, uh, it is going to make it tough, especially late in games when it's close or if the Ravens are trailing. So that may be something to pay attention to. But uh, if Williams continues to perform the way he did for you know the first half, first three quarters of that game, uh, he really is a viable RB2 prospect. But uh, it could really be that Latavius Murray isn't going away. Um, also be interesting to see what happens, if anything, with uh, Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman. I'd like for this to stay as a two running back backfield. I would like for those other guys to not be involved. Um, but we'll, we'll sort of keep an eye on it uh, as we get further down the road here. Uh, last big question for the week. The Bengals and the Bears play, which uh, first off is an Andy Dalton revenge game. Uh, so let's start there. But uh, the bigger question is, uh, there are a couple of running backs who had good week ones that are facing off against each other. So which one would you rather have? Uh, this week, certainly. Um, Joe Mixon or David Montgomery? I think David Montgomery has the bigger game, and much of it is because of matchup. Like, the Bears' D-line is just a lot more uh, scary than, uh, the, than the Bengals are. The Bengals, we know you could run on this team. David Montgomery looked really good in Week 1. 16 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown. My only concern with Montgomery is he had just one target where Damian Williams had five. That That's that new Tariq Cohen role there for, for Damian Williams. So Joe Mixon, on the other hand, you know, he had a bunch of carries. He was utilized in the passing game. Uh, I feel good about both of these guys, but this week, just because of the matchup, I will lean David Montgomery. Uh, I'm going to double down on that and say Monty as well. Um the dude just looks good, and I think it's seven straight weeks dating back to last year that he's finished as a top 10 fantasy running back. I mean, last year, I know at the down the stretch, everybody said, well, it's because he had a favorable schedule, but yeah, he took advantage of it. Then he comes out against the Rams in week one and looked good again. I was sort of surprised and a little bit concerned about how much Damian Williams was involved in the offense, but uh, if Montgomery continues to run as effectively as he has, I think it's not going to be so much of an issue. And you're right, the the matchup is certainly more in Montgomery's favor, uh, having to go against the Bengals defense versus Mixon, having to go against that uh, Bears front starting off week two. But uh, both guys would off to a good, good, good start, uh, and that should be encouraging for fantasy managers who have either one of those guys on their roster time for another break we'll be right back you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it 
Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Got a trio of named players that I think will be interesting to talk about. Uh, let's start it off with Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Gronk, obviously back the second year in Tampa and uh, had a really good start to the season. couple of touchdowns against the Dallas Cowboys. I know we were sort of so-so on Gronk coming into the season, but after what we saw in week one, do we consider him to be a tight end one right now? I think you got to, right? Like, tight end to me is the most fluid position in fantasy. Like, I'm not going to take someone that we valued as an RB1 after one game and be like, all right, we got to completely reevaluate this guy. But when it comes to tight ends, I think you have to react pretty quickly and be fluid at the position. Like, we know the elite three are still the top options. Then there was that second tier coming into drafts of Andrews, Hawkinson, and Pitts. And they all had the usage that we wanted to see. And Marcus, I know you were all over Logan Thomas. He was a lot of people's tight end seven. After that, it was like a complete crapshoot. And in week one, the ones who stepped up there were Noah Fant, Tyler Higby, and Rob Gronkowski. So I think all three of those guys get elevated into tight end one status behind the top seven guys that we all value the most coming into the season. I think I think you saying fluid is probably the best description of the tight end position because um, you know Gronk had the huge game, the 90 yards and a couple of touchdowns against the Cowboys in week one. Uh, he very well could come back in week two and maybe just get a couple of targets and not put up that sort of number. But I think it's going to be sort of that up and down all year with a lot of the tight ends, right? I mean, look, Darren Waller is going to eat. Travis Kelsey is going to eat. I think George Kittle is going to be fine. But I think for, for most everybody else, there's going to be that ebb and flow. But I think with what we saw, um, one, having that time off seems to have done Gronk some well. Uh, has, seems to have done him well. Um, I think he's going to be productive more often than not. And maybe we maybe we missed. Maybe he should have been uh, higher up our rankings for a lot of people because it looks like he's going to be a big part of what they do. Uh, all right. Next one. Ooh, this one hits uh, a little close to home for you, Florio. It is Devin Singletary. And uh, we talked a lot about the healthy scratch that was Trey Sermon in week one. Equally surprising was that Zach Moss was a healthy scratch and Devin Singletary got a pretty hefty workload. So how far does he move up your rankings with no Zach Moss involved in Buffalo? He went from being like a complete desperation flex to now being an RB3 that I think you could you could actually flex this week if you're in need of a running back or something like that. Singletary, the issue with the Bills running backs for, ye- for the last two years, Marcus, has been it's always two running backs plus Josh Allen, who we know is going to carry the ball a bunch and steal some goal line looks as well. And that made them really unusable for fantasy. But if this is a one running back show, and that's what it was in week one, this was Devin Singletary's uh, backfield. If that is the case, then I, I don't think he is a must start running back because the Bills have shown us that they are going to pass the ball and and they ran more four wide receiver sets than any team in week one. That is just what they are going to be. They're going to run when when they see fit, but they're going to really be looking to pass. But I think Singletary, who went to the quote-unquote RB whisperer to gain some bursts and some speed this offseason, he's looked faster in preseason and in week one. He looks improved, and if he's getting more of a workload, I think he goes from someone that was just really bench fodder to a flex option you could use. 
I have said repeatedly that I like Devin Singletary. It just seemed like things were stacked against him. Uh, and you're right. When there was Zach Moss there and Josh Allen, you had two running backs who weren't getting you quite enough yardage to really be attractive. And then on top of it, Allen was taking a lot of those touchdown opportunities away with one running back potentially being in the backfield. Then suddenly you're looking at one guy getting more opportunities uh, and getting more yardage and maybe even a couple of touchdown opportunities. Again, maybe it's gone from three pieces of ID to get in the end zone for Devin Singletary to just down to one. Uh, And hopefully this is a thing that continues. Of course, uh, the concern would be that Zach Moss gets back on the field in week two, starts to get some of those opportunities, and then we're right back where we started, which is uh, really nowhere great at all for us. I can't wait till uh, like week two, Devin Singletary's in the huddle, like taking out his wallet, showing Josh Allen, like, hey, look, <laughs> I'm allowed to score here. <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's cool. Bouncer said I can get in the club. It's all right. Uh, all right. Last one. It is Lamar Jackson. And uh, we talked about the Ravens uh, a little bit earlier on in the show. Uh, Lamar was okay had a couple of costly fumbles in that game against the Raiders on Monday night but still showed us that rushing upside that we're used to seeing from him um but there are so many injuries there and the defense uh had some injuries as well didn't look great at the time are you worried about Lamar Jackson this week against Kansas City no he is still in my top five quarterbacks although I, I will caveat that with in three games against the Chiefs in his career, he this is a team he has struggled against in the past. Like As a starter in his career, Marcus, he averages nearly 24 fantasy points per game, and it's just 18 in three starts against the Chiefs. The, the Chiefs have had some games where they've figured Lamar out, but I still think that Lamar, because of what he could do with his legs, his upside is just so high, the floor is so high, that if you drafted Lamar Jackson, you never sit him. So uh, I, I'm still starting him with confidence this week. I think you you sort of have to, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things of if you are benching Lamar Jackson, who do you really have that's going to be a better option, that's going to give you uh, the same sort of ceiling that Lamar can? And I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody that really fits that bill. And so even though the Chiefs, as you mentioned, have sort of given him the blues in his career, um, it just really seems hard to go away from him. And who knows? Look, if if the defense is giving up points, which – Everybody gives up points to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Maybe this puts more on Lamar to try to get things done, whether with his legs or with his arms. So maybe uh, it's sort of a a blessing in disguise, uh, as long as you're not a Ravens fan. It's a blessing in disguise (laughs) to have that defense sort of have some some issues on the field uh, coming up this week. And the defense could give up a lot of points. I mean, we know the big playmaking ability on the Chiefs. The the Raiders, who we do not think of big plays at all, had six different receivers have a catch of 20 or more yards against the Ravens this week. Finishing off with a Zay Jones game-winning touchdown, which yeah. I did not, have, <laughs> did not have that anywhere on my bingo card uh, on Monday night. That was wild. As we close this thing out, let's talk about some week two sleepers. Reach one with three. Florio, who you got? I'm starting off with Chase Claypool, who had a lot of excitement uh, in draft season this year, but in week one, he disappointed. He only had three catches for 45 yards on five targets. He was the third wide receiver again for Pittsburgh. But this week, they go up against the Raiders, who gave up a couple of long balls to the Ravens last week. Claypool is still the uh, Steelers' most explosive receiver, and I think they'll uh, they'll take some shots down the field with him in, in what should be a more productive day for their offense against the Raiders and not the Bills defense. I like K.J. Hamler here as well. Tim Patrick got a lot of the hype when Jerry Judy went down, and I understand why. 
But KJ Hamler is going to move into a starting role here when they're in three wide receiver sets. And he is the explosive option here. He is the one that could really take the top off the defense. He nearly had a long touchdown uh, in week one. So I think he could, he has some boomer bust upside. And then at number three, it is Cole Beasley. Look, Cole Beasley is like that guy who you never get excited to start, but he is just productive. Last week against the Steelers, he had 13 targets. That's one less than Stephon Diggs. He was still the Bills' number two option there. He had eight catches for 60 yards. And the thing is, Josh Allen in his career has dominated the Miami Dolphins. He just routinely goes off, throws multiple scores against them, and I think he's going to have a big game this week, and it's going to come with a lot of passes going to Cole Beasley's way. I do like the Hamler pick, especially for people who are maybe looking for some big upside because you know the floor potentially is low for him, but uh, the ceiling could be high uh, if Teddy Bridgewater actually connects with him downfield. Speaking of which, that leads me to my sleepers. And number one on my list is the aforementioned Teddy Two Gloves, who I know Broncos Nation was not super excited when Teddy Bridgewater ended up with the starting job over Drew Locke. But look, truth be told, he looked pretty good against the Giants in week one, and now he gets to come back with a matchup against the Jaguars. And Jacksonville uh, made Tyrod Taylor and the Texans look really, really good. And by the way, if I was ever going to start a Cowboy Troy cover band, I would probably call it Tyrod and the Texans. Um, But I think this is a really good opportunity to get him in the lineup if you are of the type to stream quarterbacks, especially if you're playing in a 2QB or Superflex league. Uh, I think Bridgewater balls out. Number two on my list is Jared Cook. And Jared Cook is the fantasy football equivalent of the end piece of bread in the pack. It's like nobody really wants it. People actively avoid it. But you know what? If you find a way to use it, like make some French toast out of it or something, it can be pretty effective. And Jared Cook has sort of been that guy. Looked pretty good uh, for the Chargers in week one against Washington. And now he gets a shot uh, at the Cowboys defense. I expect that to be a high scoring game. And I think Cook is going to have a pretty good game as well. And my third is going to be James White. And I know it's just not sexy, right, James? James White has a pretty safe, if unspectacular, floor, but we did see him be very involved in that passing game. I mean, Mac Jones stepped in and sort of used James White the way the Patriots have always used James White as a nice little safety valve, a, a really good option in the passing game, and, and I think he's going to continue to do that this week. I know people are sort of scared of Patriots running backs, but I feel like after week one, we got a pretty good idea of how things are going to shake out there uh, in that Patriots attack. So James White, if you got him, uh, it's a good chance to flex him in your lineup this week. Uh, If you want more sleepers, and I mean really who doesn't, you can check out my column each and every Wednesday on NFL.com. It's at NFL.com slash sleepers. I get you 10 names, uh, maybe even a couple of bonuses in there uh, if you're really nice or or read really between the lines. But uh, either way, uh, a good read. Please check it out when and where you can. Of course, uh, we got plenty more. We got Fantasy Live all week long. And then there is stuff on Sunday, Sunday Fantasy Game Day. Uh, Florio, I know you're going to be there. Tell the folks uh, what they can expect from that show. Yeah, you could catch Marcus, Rank, Kimmy, and myself every Sunday on NFL Fantasy Game Day. We're taking you all the way up to kickoff with the latest news, the top starts, sits, and a whole lot more. The show streams on the NFL Fantasy app, the NFL app, NFL.com, YouTube, and on Facebook. There's We're everywhere. If you watch your fantasy stuff, you can find us there. And if you want to win a championship, then just be sure to watch.
Absolutely be sure to watch. Come check it out. Uh, not only is it informative, but uh, I personally think it's a lot of fun, too. So uh, have start, start your Sunday football off with us. In the meantime, right now, that is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, mustaches should be called mouth brows. Be safe. Take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated. We'll see you next week. Enjoy week two, everybody. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.